offer ourselves to you and we offer our resources to you for your glory. Lord, as our church has, has determined to, to, to invest uh, over 30% of what is given to us outside the walls of our church, among the nations, Lord, would you bless and multiply these gifts that more and more people would come to know and love and follow Jesus as Lord. We give you thanks in his name. Amen. Church, you may be seated. Alongside continuing to send out our own members, we're thrilled and committed to deepening our investments in what we call strategic indigenous leaders. There are a lot of contexts around the world where Westerners can't gain visas. It's extremely difficult for them to adapt, to become influencers in the culture, in places where the church is most fledgling, most persecuted, least resourced, in places where, frankly, uh, churches and Bibles are banned. We have the privilege of coming alongside leaders from those contexts who are already effective in sharing the gospel and empowering young believers to lift up Christ in their own culture. Life Agape's ministry is in North Africa and the Middle East in countries that are have a very small Christian population and have a Muslim majority. My teammates who've been serving for 30 years uh, have told me they've never seen a season like this where people are so open to the gospel. In a country in North Africa, we would be excited to see two to three uh, Muslim young adults come to faith uh, in a year. But over the past three years, we've seen 500 uh, young adults come to faith in Jesus. In the past five years, we've gone from seeing a thousand students come to faith uh, a year through our 19 countries to last year seeing over 10,000 students uh, come to faith. In 2018, we saw 700 uh, churches established uh, and we anticipate to see over 1,400 this year. Luther's focus as a full-time Life Agape worker is to help advance Life Agape's outreach among people who have little access to the scriptures and who know a few Christ followers in their own culture. North African countries, countries like Libya, Tunisia, Algeria, Mauritania, and so on. I mean, it's tough, it's hard. I trust that the Lord had a vision and also a plan for us as Christians growing in such countries and such areas. Luther gives direction to this really combination of different projects in more than 10 European cities. Our staff and disciples from North Africa and the Middle East reach out to Gulf Arabs who come on vacation in the summer and we have amazing opportunities to share the gospel, enter into conversations, uh, pass on Bibles, copies of the Jesus film, uh, and through these projects, see Gulf Arabs come to faith in Christ 
and are able to make long-term connections so that we can follow up with them afterwards. In Frankfurt with Luther, the team was able to distribute 930 New Testaments uh, to Gulf Arabs uh, on the streets and many more uh, copies of Jesus films and other Christian literature. So uh, really thousands of people were touched uh, during this short-term trip. I mean, God is doing miracles. Right now, this week, people not only accepting Christ and growing, but also joining to share their faith with their colleagues from Muslim background. Uh, so now, they are not only accepting Jesus as a personal savior, but they are practicing their faith and sharing the gospel of Munich and different cities as well. I feel thrilled that we get to meet these family members in the body of Christ from throughout the nations and to genuinely be working alongside them to make Christ known and to see Christ's bride gathered from all nations, peoples, and languages. for the Lord will be with you wherever you go. And uh, we can see in those, lead, those indigenous leaders, they are strong and they're courageous and God is definitely with them. And so now it's our turn to rise up as God's people and to uh, be ready to share the gospel with whoever we see. Um, and so let's stand up on our feet and rise up and be who God created us to be.
Well, again, good morning and welcome. It is my privilege to introduce our guest speaker this morning and his wife, actually uh, our good friends, John and Sandra Burns. Would you both stand up and turn around so everybody can see you guys? John is the president of Greater Europe Mission. We had some Greater Europe missionaries on the platform. Wheaton Bible Church has had a decade after decade relationship with Jim. The headquarters of Greater Europe Mission used to be in Wheaton some decades ago. And this is one of our key partner mission organizations. I happen to be the chairman of the board of Greater Europe Missions, so John and I have the privilege of working together closely. I think I can take some credit for hiring you um, and, and calling you out of where you were. A couple things I want you to know about John. John in 2014 received the CNN Hero of the Year Award for his nonprofit work. The next year, he received the Empire Medal from the Queen of England herself for his involvement, his ministry, his work among uh, children and communities. As John and I were talking about this last night, he mentioned humbly and casually, he's not sure of any other individual that has received those wards, uh, both of them, um, back to back. So way to go, brother. I have learned so much from John in our uh, co-laboring together, yes. I love your passion for the nations, your heart for Europe, your commitment to church planting, multiplication, discipleship, refugee ministry, your huge heart for Muslims, and you have done a fantastic job in leading this wonderful mission organization. I want to say to all of you, we are delighted and honored to have John Burns with us today. You're going to love his British accent. Come on up here. Bless you. <laughs> well, what an absolute honor it is to be here with you all. Um, I've heard about this church obviously for years, I've visited a few times, but it's an absolute privilege to be here today, and genuinely a privilege because of all the special moments that this kind of year marks. So 90 years of this incredible missional church, uh, 25 years I think of, of the boss, my boss, our boss let's say, the boss uh, leading us, and, and for Greater Europe Mission, we're celebrating 70 years and to stand here in front of our most faithful church is a genuine honor. Thank you. It, um, it always surprises me when you come, it shouldn't, but when you come across a church that's so deeply committed to mission, that just gets it, that isn't self-serving, that realizes it's all about the overflow when we get outside the doors. And I know you're a church that does that. I'm increasingly impressed when I see what I've just seen here and, and the missions that you've supported and the missionaries that you've supported. Uh, Bill tells me 530 people have been released and sent out by this church 
over the 90 years. And currently, 90 missionaries, I think 45 of them are actually based in Europe, and at least 15 are based with us in Greater Europe Mission. So I want to say that, um, I want to say thank you, uh, not just on behalf of all the missionaries that are here this week and that you support around the world, or, or all the projects that you keep committing to, projects in HIV and water and food and indigenous leadership and responsible outreach to those of other faiths, all those projects, but more than that, on behalf of literally thousands of lives that you have been a part of transforming over 90 years. Thank you. It's incredible what this church has been a part of. You know, we know that only God is worthy of praise, right? He, he gives the increase. He alone creates the fruit. But we know that the master has always multiplied that which we offer. I'm thinking about the kid with the loaves and the fishes. He always multiplies what we offer. And you are a church that just keeps offering to Jesus what you have. Your prayers and your people and your time and your talents. Please don't ever stop. We need, this world needs more and more churches like you that just get it, that get the need for overflow, that get the need to join in with God and his purposes. We're going to read uh, the word together. If you've got your Bibles, please turn with me to John chapter 20 and just look at three verses here, 19 through 22, and they're up on the screen here. In fact, I'll read with you because it might be different than the version I've got. So let's read together. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. I used to be a policeman. I got better. But I used to be a policeman in London. And uh, when I was about 21, I went for my police uh, tests. You have all these tests and um, interview process. And I remember going for this final week of interviews. Very clever how they put it together. And uh, one particular exercise, they got us to sit down. There's 12 of us in a classroom. And they said, right, we want to test your observational skills. So what I want you to do is write everything you noticed that was the color red yesterday. So the day we had together, think it through, try and remember what you saw yesterday, anything that was red. You've got seven minutes. Imagine it's like, oh, the pressure, the pressure. So you start, you know, you're focusing in and you're writing and you're writing. Suddenly, three minutes in, the door bursts open. And a guy runs up shouting at the teacher, the policeman at the front of the class. He shouts something back and then the guy hits him and then runs out the room. The guy gets up and says, turn your sheet of paper over, describe what you just saw. Tell us what just happened. You know, the instant flip from your kind of focus to this thing. And, and it was hilarious when we read 12 reports back afterwards, right? Someone thought it was a woman that ran in, not a man. 
Someone could actually remember exactly what they said when they shouted. I couldn't. I remember how he hit him. It was quite a good right. I was quite impressed. And, and so we all told the true story of what had happened just slightly differently. It's always been easy for me to understand what some people call the synoptic problem of the Gospels. You know, we have four stories of the life, the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Some people would tell you, oh, there's little differences, therefore it can't be true. I know that's not how life works. That these four gospel storytellers saw things from a slightly different perspective. Some remembered the exact words. Some researched a bit more to get the exact details. Some had a different purpose in mind in telling their version of the story. It's all true. And so what we have in John's gospel, uh, the self-disclosed beloved disciple, is, is this um, telling of the Jesus story with a specific focus. You can see what the focus is if you just go to the end of this chapter, verse 31. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. We know the purpose of why John's writing. We know the perspective that he's writing with. He wants us to know that Jesus is the Christ. And knowing that, believe and follow him. 50% of John's gospel is just about the last week of Jesus' 30-odd years on the earth. Just the last week is 50% of John's story because he thinks that's where it matters most. And we know the context here, right? You know, they've followed Jesus. They've been on the road with him for three years. He is them, the Messiah they've been wanting and believing for. And then suddenly it all ends a way that he told them it would happen, but they didn't really believe as Jesus dies this awful death on the cross. And then three days later, these mad women make up this story that they've seen him. Like they've been to the tomb and they've seen him. They were always a bit crazy, those two. And there they are gathered in this room, uh, 10 of them at least, with some others as well, I'm guessing. And Jesus gate crashes their pity party. Just gate crashes it. I love that all through Scripture, whenever, whenever God appears, and particularly when he appears in the Old Testament as an angel, it always starts with peace be with you, as in calm down, calm down, peace be with you. As Jesus does here, you know, some of them probably thought he was a ghost, right? Peace be with you. There's no hippie attempt. It's not a peace, man. You know, it's not a 70s thing going down here. This is a deep phrase from Jesus. You heard it earlier from Bill today. Shalom. Now, shalom can be used as a greeting, like hello or even goodbye. But there's no way that's what Jesus meant here. When Jesus says shalom here, peace be with you, he absolutely means the full context of this expression. Uh, get this. Shalom means peace, harmony, wholeness, completeness, prosperity, welfare, tranquility. Imagine Jesus coming in the middle of their lives with all that's going on, all the devastation, all the destroyed hope, and using a word that means those things. Maybe some of you are in the middle of needing some of those things today. Maybe some of you need Jesus to gate crash this moment and say shalom to you 
to want for you your completeness, your prosperity, some tranquility, some harmony and wholeness and completeness in your life. We could stop there today. That could be the talk. And we just welcome Jesus to speak the truth to us again today. But that's not where this passage ends. Jesus, in verse 20, proves who he is to them. He has to do it again later because Thomas is not in the room, right? And Thomas doubts when they tell him, yeah, I'm not sure that was really Jesus. I think, I think you're all been taking something, right? Until I see the hole in his hand and the, 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 the gaping wound in his side, I won't believe. And Jesus makes another appearance. Here you go, Thomas. Is this what you wanted? Jesus proves who he is in this moment. Don't get me wrong. The, the gospel points quite clearly to the fact that Jesus needed to come into this earth, die a horrible death on a cross so that we could be redeemed, so that our sins could be forgiven and we could be made right with God again. That was enough. That is the gospel. But as if it wasn't enough, Jesus raises from the dead to prove he is who he says he is, to prove that he alone has power over death so that we never need to fear it. He's allowed to say, peace be with you, because he proved who he is. Because Jesus breathed the Holy Spirit into them, because he knew they couldn't do the job by themselves. Took me a while to learn that one. I got saved when I was 17 uh, through a Billy Graham mission to England in a football stadium. And a year later, I went to a Keswick Convention, which is a big thing in England, and they have a, they have a missionary meeting on the Wednesday, and you do everything to avoid it, because you know God's going to call you to Africa, right? So you try and avoid it. Don't make me go. And, and, and then, yeah, I'm at this missionary meeting, aged 18, and the Lord called me. And next thing I know, I'm on my feet, and I'm like, wherever you want me to go, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. I was 18. I didn't know any better, right? You know, whatever you want, Lord, wherever you want me to go, I'm yours. And I tried to serve him. I was a, a builder for a while, and then I was a policeman in London for a while, and I tried to serve him and be a faithful witness, and I kind of felt I had to. I've got to. I've got to do it. It's my job. I've got to do it. And then age 23, I got asked to join the staff of a local church as their youth minister, and after three months, I hadn't led anyone to Jesus, and I was freaking out they were going to find out and sack me, right? I'm like, no, this is my, I get paid to do this now, and I can't even do it, you know? I was all stressed out about it. And, and my church leader, the vicar, was brilliant, and he said, John, you, you, you're stressing out. What's the matter? I'm like, I've got to tell you, you know, I know you've paid me for three months now, but I haven't led anyone to Jesus. And he went, you silly boy. Who told you it was your job? The Holy Spirit is the great evangelist. You just get to join in. Set me free. It's not, that, it's not that I have a job that I must do with every strength I've got or every ability I've got. It's that I have been invited to join in with Jesus, the missionary God, to introduce this world to him. And the Holy Spirit is ahead of me. He's the great evangelist. He reveals people's need for Jesus. He shows them. It's doing it all over the world in dreams. He doesn't need me. But he invites me to join in. And that should set us free. And it should help us recognize that we can't do it unless the Lord breathes his spirit into us. 
I've had numerous occasions in my life where I felt like that's literally happened. And every morning I wake up asking the Lord to do it again for whatever he's got in front of me today, that I would be being filled with his spirit. So I've got the power to serve him faithfully. You know, this journey I've been on since 23 in full-time ministry or since 17 when I turned my life to Jesus has been quite a ridiculous one. If we had more time, I'd tell you stories about working with drug addicts in Vancouver or Zulu kings in Africa or gang fights in London or football games during shootouts in favelas in Rio. Da, 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 ask me afterwards, right? We ain't got time for those stories. But, but in 2015, the Lord interrupted my life again and called me to serve with Great Europe Mission. I knew very little about it, really. I, I'd been involved in the Olympics when Jem came to serve in the UK, and they hadn't got much, much mission work going on in the UK at that time. We made some partnerships for them. I met some of their staff coming through a little church plant that I had in London for a few years. And then they helped me make a way to get my visa over here after I won that CNN thing for another ministry I had. And then I'm speaking at a conference and Robin Duane pretended to want a conversation with me. I realize now it was like a mafia hijacking in the corner. And, uh, and they said, why don't, you, why don't you apply to be the president of GEM? And I didn't want it. I didn't want it. I had something else to do. And then you may remember that September 2015, the image of the little baby, the little boy washed up on the beach in, in Greece at the kind of height of the refugee crisis. And I was sat in Dallas watching the TV saying, Lord, why have you sent me to America when the center of what you're about to do is in the middle of Europe? And the only answer I could get was send people to Europe. So I kind of rang Rob with my tail between my legs and said, you know, never was perhaps a hasty word. <laughs> you know, I'd love to serve. And I've joined this Greater Europe mission obsession for introducing my continent to Jesus. And we've been doing it for 70 years in all kinds of different ways, through theological education to equip local people, through Christian camps. I know you guys have supported the Franks for years, this wonderful camp in Spain and, and other places with music ministries. But most of all, most particularly, how do we always focus on the multiplying disciples? How do we make disciples that make disciples? How do we plant churches that replicate this obsession we have with introducing people to Jesus? And it's a pretty special time for Europe. You know, you know as well as I do, the crisis, the fragmentation, Brexit crisis again yesterday, uh, don't even get me started, <laughs> the immigration crisis, the economic crisis of recent years in Europe. But you know, when the news talks of crisis, we with the eyes of Jesus see opportunity, right? Europe is an opportunity time. Not only have we got all these people from other faiths get crashing into the European party and finding, and finding um, churches wide open to accept them, and as you heard there, you know, hundreds and hundreds of Muslims turn 